Well, good morning, everyone. It's really a treat to be with you. Um, if I needed a current illustration about breaking free from sorrow, it would be the uh, all-day experience flying here from Texas yesterday. <laughs> now, if you don't know airline stuff, it's not supposed to take all day to fly here from Texas, but there was this wonderful circle of storm around Dallas that uh, shut the airport down. You couldn't get in or out, which meant when it finally opened up, there were literally hundreds of us who missed connections and had to uh, wait. And uh, I, I always think I'm Joe Cool when it comes to flying. I just dial an 800 number and I get set up and imagine my shock when it said, thank you for calling. Your call will be answered in four hours. And I thought, well, you know, I could be dead in four hours, you know, at this point in my life. So uh, anyway, fortunately, God was good, and we were able to, uh, to get in, and, and uh, I was genuinely sad. It's like, my goodness, this is my one shot to be with Calvary Chapel here this year, and uh, I don't want to be in an airport stuck. That, that's no fun. That, that's terrible. And so when we talk about breaking free from sorrow... What we want to talk about on the opposite end of the spectrum from sorrow is that wonderful three-letter word, joy. How to experience joy in our lives. Um, I love that word. Um, many of you know we have five grown children, a daughter and, and four sons, Joy, Jesse, Jeffrey, John, and Joseph. And if you noticed, uh, our daughter is named Joy. Tomorrow is her birthday, uh, we are living through what happened. She likes me to not say how well, 25 years ago when she was born, uh, because she was born on a Monday. I know that because uh, her mom went into labor on Saturday night. And so instead of going to church that Sunday, I spent the whole day at the hospital. Now, I'm skirting around an issue. Let's get it out in the public. I'm an old man. How old? I'm so old that when my daughter was born, the hospitals still had restrictions. Fathers were not allowed in the labor and delivery room. There was no such thing as child, you know, natural childbirth and lamas and, you know, all the he breathing and the focus point. All that. There was none of that. Fathers were uh, escorted to the father's waiting room. Now, once the sons came along, they started having uh, fathers in the delivery room. But it was pre-joining your wife for the birth of your child. Joy was born in Hollywood Memorial Hospital on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, Florida. And I remember it very well, Hollywood Memorial Hospital, nice little piece of trivia here. It's also the hospital that Joe DiMaggio died in, if you're a baseball fan. Anyway, so I escort my wife and they say, now, Mr. Butter, please go to the father's waiting room. Now, I've seen this on old black and white movies from the 20s, you know, it's like, right off these sets of double doors where the surgeon comes out with a mask on. That's an interesting idea, a mask. And, um, and says, Mr. Butter, are you the proud? And with Hollywood Memorial Hospital, he says, we want you to stay at the father's waiting room. I'm like, great, can you tell me where it is? Sure, 
you go down the hall and you hang a left and then you go down three more and it was at the opposite end of the hospital. So I walk in there, now it's looking more a little bit like the old movies. It's smoke filled, you know, there are all these nervous men pacing around. Uh, I've read all the magazines in the first hour. They're ridiculously old magazines. How to have, reading a magazine about, you know, will FDR run for a second term? It just seems, you know, ridiculous to me. But I'm in this thing and I'm trying to figure out how's the doctor going to come through the double doors and tell me I've got this wonderful little baby. There's a payphone in the father's waiting room. And so when your baby is born, you are called. The phone rings, 15 dads rush to the phone. One of them gets it. Hello, yes, all right. You know, Franklin, is there a Franklin in here? Yeah, it's your phone, it's your baby. You know, and then you get this. And I, it's like, this is crazy. I'm, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And like I said, Saturday night, all night, Sunday, all night. Monday, the phone finally rings for Mr. Butter. Mr. Butterworth? If you'll come meet me at the double doors by the delivery room, I'll introduce you to your new child. And it's like, man, I don't even remember. Well, it's easy. You come out the third. Just, just hail a cab and get down there and get the, and sure enough, little joy. Weeping lasted for the night, but joy came in the morning. Isn't that a wonderful story? We want to talk about that kind of joy today. We'll, we'll start kind of easy peasy and then we'll get a little more involved and a little more depth with maybe some that are sharing and experiencing honest to goodness sorrow in their lives. But if I've learned one thing, I have a wonderful mentor in my life, uh, a fine Bible teacher by the name of Chuck Swindoll. And one of the things that I first learned from him that, that I don't believe it's original with him, but it's one of my favorite expressions in, in describing this man who's such a wonderful example to me and such a godly model of faith is this phrase, take God seriously, but don't take yourself so seriously. Take God seriously, but don't take yourself so seriously. God is very urgently wanting to be involved in your life. And we know that. But sometimes we get so uptight and so discouraged and so persnickety and whatever word you can think of to describe, you're not a very joyful person because you're taking yourself too seriously. And it's time to just kind of back off. So in order to do this, I want to start by giving you three phrases that describe what joy is not. And then we want to look at some passages of Scripture that talk about what joy is and uh, illustrate them with some ideas. First of all, what joy isn't. Joy is not from the outside. Okay, it's not an outward thing that moves in. Secondly, joy is not the absence of difficulty. And third, joy is not limited to here on earth. So what is joy then? What does the Bible have to say about joy? Well, number one, 
Joy is what I'm calling the revitalizing of the soul. Joy is the revitalizing of the soul. Solomon has a great way of describing it in Proverbs. If you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 17, and let's look at verse 22. Proverbs 17, 22. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. If you circle in your Bible, circle the word joyful. It's the word sama in Hebrew, and it means a heart that rejoices, a heart that is cheerful. It also means a heart that is discerning. You know, we think of joy sometimes as kind of a lightweight emotion that you just kind of mail in and you put a smile on your face. No, it's actually a heart that is discerning in terms of what's going on in your life. A joyful heart is good medicine. So this says to me a couple of things. First of all, joy comes from the inside. You've probably heard it before. There's a great contrast between what is often thought synonymous, joy and happiness. Happiness is outward moving in. Joy is inward moving out. Romans chapter 12 Verse 2 says, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed. When we move to the New Testament, we move to the Greek, the Greek words are very colorful in this way. Paul is saying, don't let the world dictate to you how it's supposed to be inside. Don't be conformed, but rather work from the inside out. Be transformed as you move through your life, that you're not taking your cues from outward circumstances, but you're taking your cues from what you have inside that joyful heart. Joy comes from the inside, and also we see from that, if I can borrow the old uh, title of uh, my favorite part of Reader's Digest. I don't know if anybody's old enough to remember Reader's Digest. It was big in the 1840s, but um, (laughs) they used to have a comment called, laughter is the best medicine. Kind of a, if you don't laugh, You'll, you'll cry. And, and we've all had those situations, right? Maybe it's, are you kidding? We'll, call, we'll, we'll take your call in four hours? You know, I, I almost teared up at that. That's crazy. This is, this is unbelievable. This is going to be a great illustration if I can get to Philadelphia, you know. <laughs> Laughter is the best medicine. One's inner life affects our physical well-being. Medically, that's been proven. One's inner life affects one's physical well-being. I have numerous personal illustrations of learning to take myself less seriously. When I got really involved in something and it didn't go the way I thought it was going to, and boom, it it got all messed up. Um, When Kathy and I first got married, uh, going on 22 years ago now, um, I was... uh, not only speaking in churches, but I was also, and still to this day, uh, speak in business settings and corporate settings. And, and back in those days, what you needed to have in order to introduce yourself to a business client or a corporate client was um, a video of part of your presentation. And um, they wanted it to be top quality and they wanted it to look really good and it, it was a big deal. 
And for some reason, I was going from business to business and speaking, but was unable to get a really good, high-level quality video. So a friend of mine invited me to come to speak at his church in that sparkling Christian town of Las Vegas. And they had just built this new sanctuary. And I mean, state-of-the-art video stuff was like all over the place. And I remember sitting with my wife saying, this is where I'm going to get my little slice of video so that I can be, you know, hired by some more of these business folks. And man, I was really excited. We were sitting over here by this gentleman here with his hat on. Said, how you doing? So we were sitting over there and um, the, the, they started introducing me and, and I was getting really excited. And, you know, um, when people speak in public, lots of times they have little things they go through before they get up, you know, take a deep breath, you know, and kind of shake everything off and, you know, get everything ready to go so you feel real good. I have a very, I've tried to stop it. I have a very weird thing that I especially was doing right before I got up to speak every time sitting over there. I would always check to see that my socks were pulled up. There was something about droopy socks that seemed counterculture to me and that could not be justified uh, in, the script, in the scriptures. So um, I would just automatically pull my socks up just as there is. So here's our speaker for today, Bill Butterman. People start clapping and I, Kathy you know, gives a little squeeze of my hand and I jump up and I walk up the stairs totally unaware that what I have done when I have pulled up my sock is pull one, not two, one, over my pant leg. So I have kind of this 1920s knickers look going on. Uh, while I'm getting the best quality video I've ever had in my life. And I am completely unaware of it. And every once in a while, I look over at my wife, and, and Kathy's totally aghast. And, and, and she, every time we make eye contact, she keeps going. Well, like I said, we were fairly newlyweds. We had not established, you know, nonverbal <laughs> cues. Forgive me, but I thought meant something totally different than you have your pant leg stuck in your sock. So multiple times through this high quality video presentation, I am turning my back and making sure everything is okay in other places so that I can, you know, have high quality video with my everything taken care of. So I remember I, I, I got back down and I sat down and, and she goes, look at your legs. And I looked in and, oh my gosh. She said, oh yeah, you blew it, blonde boy. You really blew it. So I tell that story sometimes and I forget to undo my leg and it's very distracting. I, I was really upset. No, I, I can't say I was ready to cry, but it was so disturbing that, oh, we had this one shot here, and 
you know, it's, it's like your church. I, I get here once a year, twice a year if I'm lucky. You know, it's, that's a long time to wait for this quality stuff. And it was like, you, bet, you know what? If you don't laugh, you're going to cry. Now, that's pretty lightweight stuff. But I think it's a message that Christians need to hear. God didn't place you on earth to rain on everyone else's parade. Okay? You don't have the gift of sour. All right? You don't have to be the, the grumpy grouch in every situation. Okay? You can put that smile on your face and you can take yourself less seriously and it will be a vast improvement not only in the kingdom but those that we would like to come into the kingdom because they see someone who is winsome, who is joyful and who doesn't take themselves so seriously. Okay? So, point number one, joy is the revitalizing of the soul. Now, we get a little more intense with number two. Joy, secondly, is the result of difficulty. Joy is the result of difficulty. Let's start with this one in the book of James. James chapter 1, verse 2. James chapter 1, verse 2 says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Okay, you can circle that word joy again. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. So it's not that joy is the absence of difficulty, but rather the result of difficulty. James wrote the earliest New Testament book. This book of James that you have in front of you is probably around 45 AD, okay? 20 years later, 19 years later, 64 AD, a much more mature disciple named Peter writes in the next book over, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. There's that word, joy. Be joyful in the fact that you are going through difficult times. And what is really amazing to me is when you look at that phrase in verse 12, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal or fiery trial that you're going through. In 64 AD, in the Roman Empire, if you were a Christian, the fiery trial is not a metaphor. It's not a symbol. It's not, do you, do you hear how intense that sounds? It's legit. It's the real deal. Nero was persecuting Christians, literally lighting them on fire in order to uh, push the blame about the great fire of Rome onto them. It wasn't my fault, he said. It was those Christians. And he gave that term Christian in a derogatory way. And so in the middle of that, both James and Peter are saying, you should have joy. Now, if you go back to James, I confess to you, I have read James chapter 1, verse 2, hundreds of times, and always focus on, see, consider it joy, consider it joy, consider it joy. And only in my most recent study did I expand it just a little bit, 
I, I don't know what your translation says, but mine says, consider it all joy. All joy. Pure joy. Joy that is full. Joy that is not mixed. And that really spoke to me because, you know, so many times when we go through difficulty in life, we turn it into a giant good news, bad news joke. You know, I mean, the bad news is you broke your leg. The good news is, you know, um, they'll bring you ice, all the ice cream you can eat in the hospital, all right, because that heals the broken leg. Oh, so there's good news and there's bad news. Going through trial is not a good news, bad news joke. It's all good news. It's pure joy, all joy, full joy. Wow. Probably like many of you, I read um, as a daily devotional the classic Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest. Who reads uh, Oswald Chambers? Anybody? Yes, many of you do. And just last week, August, uh, August 2nd, as a matter of fact, portion of what uh, he says is this. God does not give us overcoming life. He gives us life as we overcome. The strain is the strength. Are you asking God for a life of joy? He cannot unless you accept the strain. God never gives strength for tomorrow or for the next hour, but only for the strain of the minute. The temptation is to face difficulties from a common sense standpoint. But, and I love, this is so classic Oswald Chambers. This is like around 1912 that he wrote this. The saint is hilarious when he is crushed with difficulties because the thing is so ludicrously impossible to anyone but God. Do you get that? When you go through difficulty, it's so impossible for you to get out of it yourself that it's hilarious to think that you would. You, that's part of how there's joy in life. It's like, I'm laughing because there's no way I'm going to get out of this. It's going to be God himself who has to, if need be, work a miracle so that I can make this happen in my life. David wrote this in, in Psalm 30. You might want to turn back there. Listen to the first five verses. I will exalt you, Lord, for you rescued me. You refused to let my enemies triumph over me. Oh, Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you restored my health. You brought me up from the grave, O oh Lord. You kept me from falling into the pit of death. So sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. Dealing with trial, having joy as the result of dif difficulty is kind of a biblical way to say we all have to go through our stuff, but we go through it and we move past it. We are all in recovery in that sense. We are all trying to recover from how sin has placed us in bad situations or how God has allowed trials in our lives to strengthen us and, and make us even more significant. So we all have problems so we can all have joy is one way to put it. We all have problems 
so we can all have joy. Joy is what I like to call the gift that keeps on giving. Joy is the gift that keeps on giving. Now, if you're still in James, turn over to a latter part of chapter 1, verse 17. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Every good gift is from above, including the difficult ones that will result in joy. Those, those gifts, those are really significant. If you're a parent, you know how your kids love to get gifts. And Christmas time is a big deal. But if you have kids that are kind of normal kids, there are gifts that you give them, especially when they're little, that they don't really appreciate. They just want toys, all right? And they don't want new clothes or, you know, stuff that's going to be, you know, a waste of good wrapping paper, as, as we said it in our family. You know, and I remember, you know, I grew up nearby here and it was just classic Philadelphia Christmas and it was all beautifully decorated and I loved it. And Christmas morning, I'd come downstairs and, and I'd look at all the packages and I prided myself in being able to figure out what each toy was, even before they were unwrapped, just by the size of the box. And, and it was really, really great. And I knew there were clothes and I didn't want to waste time working on clothes. Let's get to the toys. I mean, what if I had a sudden child heart attack and, you know, never got to open those toys? We're going to open all the toys first. Well, there was a particular uh, clothing item that my mother uh, bought me every year, and I, she always wrapped it the same way. It was very, very obvious. As soon as I saw it, I would jam it under the Christmas tree as deep as I could. And I'd open all the toys, and and my mom would say, well, there's still some more. you got to dig out. And I, you know, and I got done with the toys. But to be polite, I would, you know, keep working. And, and finally, as the last gift of every Christmas, I would dig deep and open up a worthless gift to a young boy. New underwear. <laughs> and I remember every Christmas, this became a habit. It, there was that package. I kept jamming it under the tree, opened everything else. There's one more left, uh, new underwear. You know, and, and she just had the most joyful expression on her face. Like, you know, my son has new underwear. You know, I mean, I guess the, when the bar is pretty low at that point, if that's what makes you smile, is at least he's got new underwear on, okay? So um, finally, after three or four Christmases, I decided, you know, enough is enough. This is ridiculous. As, as I said earlier, we we're wasting good wrapping paper on this kind of thing. So I got through all the presents and I opened that last one. Oh boy, new underwear. And I made the mistake of mouthing off. And I said to my mom, Mom, really, why do I need new underwear? And you know the answer because I believe all moms have been coached through some divine way uh, because they all give the same answer, right? Why do you need new underwear? It basically goes like this. Ladies, say it with me together. Suppose you were in an accident. Yes, right? Okay, look at all the ladies nodding and smiling. It's like, yep, yep. And all the guys are like, yeah, that's, I got the same deal for years and years. Suppose you are in an accident, my mom would say. 
I'm there, what? She says, you know, and the ambulance has to come and take care of you. And I'm like, what? And then she starts really getting to it. She says, you know that ambulance guy, he's going to cut your pants right off. Which to a little guy is the most threatening, embarrassing. What? He's going, yep, he's going to cut your pants right off. And they're going to take you to that hospital and they're going to put you on that table. And if you're not wearing new, clean underwear, that she'd always let it trail off like that, which left me to think, they're going to leave me on that table to die. <laughs> Whoa, we got dirty underwear on table three. Let's move over to number two. So what's this all about? This is all about what James calls every gift from God is a good gift. Even if you're eight and it's new underwear. Now, as a grown man, I've had the wonderful experience to see all four of my sons embrace new underwear. <laughs> and, and they believe it now. They see it now as a good gift. They didn't see it that way back then, but now they do, all right? And now they're fighting their own battles with my grandsons, okay? But it's great. Suppose, grandson, you were in an accident, all right? Every good gift is from above, okay? So, what have we seen so far? Joy is the revitalizing of the soul. Second, joy is the result of difficulty. One more, number three, joy is the reaction in heaven when someone responds to the gospel. Joy is the reaction in heaven when someone responds to the gospel. Turn to Luke chapter 15, where this passage appears. Luke 15, verse 7. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. More joy in heaven. Joy in heaven. Wow, what does that mean? Well, first of all, it tells me that joy is eternal. If something's going on in heaven, I don't ever read anything about heaven that is short term. You know, it's forever. It's for all eternity. Joy is eternal. Joy is in heaven and heaven is forever. Secondly, God is interested in what I'm calling the severe sinner, even if the self-righteous or not. It's not God's focus to look at the 99 who are filled with self-righteousness and feel like, hey, you know what? You know, it's no big deal. I'm, I'm, I've got my own way covered. But there's that one in the 100 who has gotten so low in life that they know they've tried everything else. Now it's time to try the Lord. Because he's the one who will deliver the sinner. That's you and me. Even the most well-respected person in this room today is a sinner. As well as the most difficult life that's been given to someone who's really made a mess of it. We're all sinners. And when we come to grips with that, we realize why heaven is so excited about one person, just one person, 
choosing to accept Jesus because it, it's life-changing. It's absolutely life-changing. Everybody knows the story of Easter. Jesus was crucified on Good Friday and then he rose again on Easter Sunday. And you may even know the tagline, he rose to prove that he was God, that he had power over death. But there's a very personal part of this that I hope everyone in this room understands. It is a true fact that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. The question I have for you this morning is, is Jesus Christ your personal Savior? That's what he wants. And I can understand you being reluctant if there was some long list of things that you needed to do in order to deserve Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you thought you had to be good or give money or go to a church or, you know, do, do crazy things, who knows? I can understand why you would be reluctant. But it's just like that Christmas Day illustration. Uh, Paul tells us that salvation is the gift of God. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Now, my mom's pushing new underwear at Christmas. My dad, the clown, one Christmas says, okay, this year we're going to do it a little bit different. Everybody's going to pay for their own gifts. So as you open the gifts, I've got a running tab here. That was $4.95. I'll take a credit card. You know. And we're like, oh, Dad, ha, 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 And, of course, he was just a, a big jokester, so it was, it was fun. But I thought, what if that were real? That would totally destroy the, the warmth of Christmas, right? Because there's no more gifts. You're buying your own presents. So when salvation is declared as a gift from God, it's not something you have to buy into or deserve. Good night. If I got gifts based on what I deserved, you know, we're down there, bottom shelf, new underwear kind of stuff, all right? But God is saying, I, through Christ, have paid for all that you have done wrong. And you can have relationship with me here on earth and heaven for all eternity, where we will all rejoice when even one person understands the plan of salvation. Isn't that the best news ever? That's what produces real joy in God's heart. So when you think about the three things we covered this morning, joy is the revitalizing of the soul, the result of difficulty, and the reaction in heaven when someone responds to the gospel. Is there one of those three that really strikes home right now? Uh, for some, it's probably that number two, because you're in a difficult phase in your life. You are in a trial. And it's not easy for you to hear you should consider it joy. Not only should you consider it joy, you should consider it pure, full, unmixed with anything else, joy. It's like, whew, man, I got some work to do to get there. But that's what God wants to do through you as you work through your difficulties. Maybe for someone else, life is, is pretty good right now. You're, you know, you're, you're back out there, you're doing your deal, all, all is well, but you still have that kind of crabby attitude. And you're the, you're the downer in every group. And maybe you just need to realize, I just need to take myself less seriously. 
I need to continue to take God seriously, but I need to lighten up a little bit. I need to lighten up on my spouse, or I need to lighten up on my kids, or my grandkids, or my neighbors, or that, that stupid person I work for. You know, whatever, whatever you're thinking, it's like, I got to lighten up. I'm just, I'm just bad that way. Or maybe it's number three. Maybe you've never met Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Today would be the perfect day to do that. And you can do it in the privacy of your own mind. God knows what you're thinking right now. And you can say, Lord, I, I don't understand everything, but I know I'm a sinner and I need you in my life. So the best I know how, I receive you as my personal Savior. And the Bible says, the second you do that, you're born into the family of God. Welcome. We welcome you joyfully. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of joy that you give us that makes such a difference in our lives. Lord, I thank you for the men and women that are here today who truly want to learn what you have to say from your word. So as we looked at three very rudimentary, very basic points today, I pray you would drive one of them home into the hearts and minds of each and every person here. Help us to take you seriously, but take ourselves less seriously. And in that way, revitalize our soul with the joy that you give. Help us to understand that joy is not the absence of difficulty, but the result of difficulty. Make us people characterized by pure, unmixed joy. And Lord, thank you for saving us sinners. We love you, Lord. We pray all these things now in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And all God's people said, amen, amen.